Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 92 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. My first podcast of 2020 and a chance to update you on the Top Bar Hive project, winter feeding and an exciting new collaboration for the coming season. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I know it's a cliche, but where oh where did that year go? And what on earth is happening to the quiet time over this winter period? It seems we're now rushing towards the beginning of the beekeeping season and with so much work still to do. Mostly due to my enforced downtime in the autumn with my bad back, it has to be said, but even so, I still see so much work to do and the days are racing past. With the start of the new year, I've changed the colour of the podcast title image to reflect this year's queen colour. And I'll also be changing the colour of the video thumbnails to the same colour. And if you're still pondering on what colour that is, well, it's blue this year. One of my New Year's promises to myself is to have a daily jobs list to keep me focused. I'm sure you will have noticed that I tend to get distracted quite easily. And apart from a couple of minor slip-ups, I'm still working to that jobs list and adding more jobs as I spot them or as in most cases remember that I need to do them. Currently, top of the list are jobs associated with the top bar hive. If you've listened to the previous podcast, you'll know that Pete and I are busy building a top bar hive from pallet wood, something that I've promised myself I would do for quite a number of years now. And to be honest, it's been a bit distracting and more work than I had anticipated. I've been popping around the apiaries, checking up on the flooding risk and adding fondant. Again, more about this task later, but I wanted to start the podcast proper with some exciting news for us here at the Norfolk Honey Company in that we've recently agreed a season-long collaboration setting up an apiary from scratch and installing a dozen honeypore Langstroth hives and accompanying nukes. As you may know, we collaborated with Paul Beardmore from Happy Valley Honey a couple of seasons ago with some honeypore hives, and the manufacturers have been in touch to ask if we would again use their hives to collaborate in a series of videos to last the full active season, showing the full range of the honeypore poly Langstroth hives and associated kits such as the pollen traps. As I think I've said in previous podcasts, I've been very impressed with the honeypore hives we've been using that Paul at Happy Valley Honey supplied us, so I didn't hesitate in agreeing to create another series of videos for the coming active season using the honeypore hives. We'll be receiving the hives in flat pack form and I'll be using my renowned DIY skills to build the hives in layman's terms. That means gluing them together, as I'm sure you're aware. Then we'll be painting them with some masonry paint and making up all of the ancillary equipment in preparation for the start of the new season. Once we've got them built and painted, we'll be setting them out in a brand new apiary site that I've just established close to our Bluebells apiary. It's a lovely site in the corner of an open meadow with great access for the ranger, so we'll be able to get all of our gear to the apiary without any heavy lifting. I'm going to use the block and post method for stands at this site. That will be one of the first jobs, really. Once the stands are ready, we just need to wait for the weather to improve enough to establish new colonies. 
We already have our Langstroth colonies at the Alpaca apiary, and I intend to bring some of those colonies across, but we'll also be splitting hives to create artificial swarms, carrying out some shook swarms from different sized hives, and I would imagine we'll also be shaking in one or two swarms, certainly if last year is anything to go by. Once we have the colonies established, we'll be able to have a bash at collecting pollen again using the honey-poor pollen traps, and with a decent season, we should enjoy a honey harvest from them too. I'm hoping we'll be able to show not just the versatility of the honey-poor hives, but also how beginner beekeepers can set up an apiary, install a nuke of bees into a full-size hive, and get starting beekeeping with the minimum of fuss. It will also serve to show some more advanced techniques in beekeeping that I'm sure many of you might be interested in trying out or have already used, such as the Shook Swarm. But all of that is in the coming months. Bringing it back to right now, we seem to be in another warm January, with temperatures this week reaching the mid-double figures of 14 to 16 degrees centigrade. That's around 57 degrees Fahrenheit. It's been very mild and quite windy, and yesterday I took the opportunity to pop round my apiaries and check up on colonies to see what was going on and add some fondant to them. This got me thinking about winter feeding and how easy it is for beginner beekeepers to get completely confused about what they should or shouldn't be doing as regards to feeding fondant over the winter months. I'm sure everyone's spent many weeks in the late autumn feeding their bees and watching gallons of syrup disappear into their hives. And if you read the books, most will spell out how many gallons or kilos of syrup needs to be fed to keep the colonies alive through the long winter period. But what they don't tell you is how quickly the bees will use the stores. And if the weather decides to stay mild, they'll use it even quicker. Common sense will tell you that if the bees are more active, moving around in the hive, out on cleansing flights, or as I saw yesterday, a colony with about 150 workers outside the front entrance on orientation flights. Anyway, if the bees are more active, they're going to burn more fuel. And that's honey or syrup that they've stored in the brood box. If we suddenly find ourselves hitting a cold spell, everything will shut down again, but it could leave the bees with a deficit in terms of available food. Hefting the hives will help, but only if you've been doing this on a regular basis. No point starting now, so if you've not done any hefting, you may as well just pop the roof and have a peek inside. Before I go on about what you're likely to see here, a couple of things to talk about. Fondant is cheap to make or buy, regardless of which way you choose to go. There's no point in allowing your bees to die of starvation for the want of a few pounds or dollars worth of fondant. Ignore the old boy at the Beekeepers Association in the corner of the room who tells you you should have fed them properly in the autumn or that he never feeds his bees with fondant. Just whack a bag of fondant on the crime board and let the bees have plenty of food. More rather than less is much the better option. Now if you have a couple of hundred hives or even a couple of thousand then you might want to take a different approach but you'll know what suits you best. All I'm saying is for me a few bags of fondant now is better than a dead out and all the cleaning and restocking after the event. Colonies do sometimes die out over winter. Don't let it be because they starved and that you could have prevented it. As to how much to feed, well, we're back in the realms of guesswork mostly. It will depend on the colony's strength or size, how frugal or hungry they are, how active they become when it warms up, or their general food requirements. I've seen colonies that appear near death 
the size of a pint pot and with very little food stores, explode with bees in time for the spring forage, and I've also seen giant colonies eat their way through kilo after kilo of fondant, only to do nothing all year. No two colonies are exactly the same, so don't expect them all to be huge or tiny at this time of the year. Give them a kilo or a couple of pounds of fondant and go check up on them in a week's time. If they've eaten it all, great, give them some more. If they haven't touched it, but are otherwise fine, then great, leave them alone. As I mentioned, I was out looking at the apiaries yesterday and I put a kilo bag on most of the colonies, purely because of what I've already said. When you take the roof off a hive, it gives you an opportunity to take a quick look at what's going on beneath the crime board, or if you have clear cover boards, even better. You can see exactly what the colony is up to without having to disturb them. Most of my colonies have wooden crime boards, the type with two porter bee escape holes pre-cut into them. When I lift the roof, I can quickly see if there are bees beneath these open holes and make a quick assessment as to colony strength. For instance, I lifted the roof on one colony and both holes were full of bees actively moving around and lifting their stings upwards in a defensive position. No need to take off the crime board and disturb them further. I simply placed a kilo bag of fondant over one of the holes and replaced the roof. I lifted the roof from another colony and I couldn't see any bees. Immediately my heart sank. The thought that they had perished entered my mind so I grabbed my hive tool from my pocket and levered the crime board off the brood box. It came away with quite a crack. That propolis hardens like cement and when you prise the crime board off it makes quite a noise. Looking down into the brood box I could see quickly that all was well. The bees were starting to move around and head up to the noise. If you look straight down into a brood box that's on an open mesh floor with no bees in it, you can see straight through to the light beneath the floor. If there are any bees in the way, all you'll see is a dark mass. What you're looking for is some movement to the edges of this dark mass. Sometimes bees will break from the cluster and move to the top of the frame bars. It takes no time at all to glance down each gap between the frames and count the total number of seams of bees. Having done this, you can pop the crime board back on, add fondant if you like, and replace the roof. One tip here is to make a note of the position of the cluster. Is it central or off to one side? My crime boards have a central hole and another one offset to one side. If the cluster is particularly towards one side of the brood box, Replace the crime board so that the hole is directly above the main cluster of bees. It will make it easier for them to move up and feed on the fondant. I should also caution against looking at all the comments and pictures on social media at this time of the year too. Images of brood boxes full of bees, comments proclaiming massive colonies. It's enough to make you feel quite inadequate. Five or more seams of bees will do very nicely from now until spring. And remember, different strains will have different traits. It's all well and good having massive colonies at this time of the year, but you'll likely have to feed them heavily until they swarm in March. I have, as usual, a wide range of colony sizes at the moment. A few full boxes, a few small clusters of bees, but most are in the usual mid-range, average-sized colonies of between five and eight seams of bees. Just going back to the honey-poor poly hives, one of the things I really hated when I first got them was the polycarbonate cover board, the crime board. I just couldn't see how it was going to work effectively. 
and I think I vowed at the time to replace them all with framed wooden ones. Well, that didn't happen, and I'm glad I stuck with it. As the season progressed, the bees made their own bee space between the coverboard and the top bars of the frames using wax, which allowed them to move around freely as they wanted to. Being clear, it also allowed me to look into the hive without disturbing the bees, and particularly, I've been able to observe the cluster sizes of the colonies in these hives without having to remove the cover boards all this winter. Old dog and new tricks comes to mind, but I've been happy to embrace a small but valuable change in my methods using this piece of kit, and it really does make a difference. I'll be keeping an eye on all of the colonies over the next few weeks as we move closer to the start of the new season, just to make sure all is well. There's no need to continually open colonies, just a quick look to see if bees are flying is normally enough. I will lift the roof to see how they're doing with the fondant, and of course, there will be those that gorge themselves on it and need replacement. But others will barely touch it, I'm sure. You never really can tell which will need topping up, and as I mentioned earlier, having the polycarbonate cover boards makes it very easy to see what's going on. Interestingly, I was feeding some of the honey poor nukes this week. These don't have a polycarbonate cover board, just the main body which holds four frames and a migratory roof. These are the type that sit flush at the sides. Because they only hold four frames, I have them on double nuke bodies with eight frames in total, planning to split them in the spring to make up more colonies. Anyway, I have them not only doubled up with eight frames, but I also push two nukes together side by side so that they can keep each other warm. And I wanted to check if they were okay, as I hadn't seen any bees flying from them, unlike all the other colonies in this particular apiary. I lifted the roof off the first nuke to find the top box crammed full of bees, active and, apart from being annoyed at me for disturbing them, apparently happy. I did the same on the second box and found the top box completely empty. My heart sank and I figured they might not be as strong as the first nuke. That's assuming that they were still alive. I grabbed my hive tool from my pocket and levered the two nuke bodies apart, and there, sandwiched between the two boxes, was again a large, thriving nucleus colony of bees. I thought it really interesting the way each colony had positioned itself within the same setup, one at the very top of the double nuke and one pretty much in the centre. I closed them both quickly and will go back to add some fondant as I didn't have an eek with me for this particular setup. I'll use a standard Langstroth eek, but put a bar down the middle to separate both colonies and give them each a kilo of the Apipasta fondant. All in all, I would say the bees are doing fine this winter. We still have a long way to go, but the hazel will soon be flowering, and although I expect a cold snap later this month or into February, I do think that we have every chance of getting all our colonies through into the warmer spring months and onwards into the new beekeeping season. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for all your comments and support. If you're not yet familiar with Patreon, do catch up with more of my beekeeping journey by checking out the content list on my creator page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. Have a fantastic week and thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Beekeeping short and sweet.